I'm Mark Purvis, and this is The Wisdom Stack Show. The Wisdom Stack redefines the rules of transformation. Join me and explore how entrepreneurs, artists, innovators, and visionaries create professional success and fulfillment. In personal stories or guest interviews, we'll take an unfiltered look at what defines transformation, growth, success, community, and legacy. Sometimes raw, always real. With heart and humor, come share the journey with My guest today is a serial entrepreneur, science fiction author, and adventurer. He'll share his insights into building successful businesses, scaling them, and having them reach a level of success, as well as what happens when the biggest one failed spectacularly and how his journey through that process can help you and guide you to reach your entrepreneurial vision. On the show today, here's... Shay Oliver. We know each other pretty well, and and I know a lot of your your story, but the people listening to the show don't know about you or know about your story. And and mainly, I wanted to cover your journey through your life that led you to the point now where you are a what I would call serial entrepreneur. And and you actually do multiple things as an entrepreneur. And starting sort of back, you know, everyone starts from a different place. But I know you started in in a corporate world. And maybe you could just kind of share a little bit about how that started. Sure. I'll actually jump back a little bit further to, to where kind of my love for the idea of working for myself really comes from. So when I was uh, 12 years old, I got my first, quote, job. Um, doing uh, lawn work for a bank and, you know, sweeping out the drive through and such. And by the time I was 13, uh, we'd moved to a different city and I realized that's a great way to make money. And so I was doing like many, you know, boys of my, of my generation, I was mowing yards for a living. I had friends then as I went through high school that were working in fast food, getting their hands, you know, burnt by the poppings of the grease, <laughs> um, working year round, whereas I found I could work for, you know, spring, summer, and fall and take winter off. And I had more than enough money, which was really awesome. And then I had a couple of people in my life. Um, I had uh, an unusual story. One of my mom's cousins is actually a garbage man. He owns a garbage business. Um, And I used to go and spend time with him in the summertime. And it was really as cool as it was to have your own business, you know, garbage is kind of one of those, oh, is that really what you want to do? But he would get behind, you know, we'd get behind a garbage truck just wandering around town and he'd go, smells like money. But, but it wasn't just the money. It was the, it was the lifestyle. It was, I'm in charge of my time and I get to do what I want. Um, but then fast forward, I went to college and yes, I ended up eventually in, in the corporate world. Uh, actually, with a, it was a public company. We were a little bit too small to be a, a public company. I was doing sales um, around the United States and Europe. Um, young and dumb, didn't know that you don't start with a territory that's two continents. Um, but having a blast, making a ton of money. But uh, politics, internal company politics interfered, and uh, dot com 
boom hit in 2001. Um, despite being the only salesperson who was not only above quota, but selling anything, I found myself laid off. And it was really, had more to do with politics. Thought I wanted to stay in that world of selling and high tech, but decided, you know, there's always been this pull to get back to working for myself. And I even had kind of dreams of moving in that direction eventually, even when I was doing sales and having a blast. And just through a, through a friend, I ended up uh, learning about the mortgage industry, started a mortgage company. It was okay. I, I liked it. It was started giving me the pieces that I liked of having um, my own company. Um, and in the meantime, I'd also had first kids had shown my, my, two sons had shown up. And as I'm doing this mortgage company, I came up with another idea for a business, which was a, um, a newsletter in the mortgage industry uh, for loan officers. And so I started that business. And that really is something that I, I really had a passion for and really started enjoying more than the mortgage company. Almost lost both of them when I ran into a absolutely terrible fraudulent situation that um, at the end of it, I shut my mortgage company down because of the, the lack of ethics and um, fraud. It was it was mortgage fraud that was somebody was trying to pull me into getting involved with, and I decided to just back away from it and mm. uh, focus on my marketing company, which was really nothing at the at that time. But it was it was exciting because uh, this was 20 years ago, so my first <laughs> my very first customer, I'd created this product and I put up an ad, this is really dating me, in Google Groups. Not Google Groups, I'm sorry, Yahoo Groups. They don't even Yahoo exist groups. anymore. Um, and it was really awesome because uh, I got customers and people were paying me to do uh, this idea that I had. And that idea just continued to grow. I actually ended up getting a couple other sales jobs that I liked, I enjoyed, but I was really torn um, I made a weird rule for myself and said, okay, if I'm eventually going to do this for myself, uh, it has to be full-time. And so this little company I have on the side doing this newsletter, I will take no cash from the company. Well, I went back into sales and was doing pretty well in sales, but this little company of mine, um, just because of the way the financial world works, I ended up with a ton of cash in it. I started laddering CDs um, and just looking at this thing going, this thing is growing and all I'm doing is, is basically spending the weekend and some evenings working on it. What would happen? Um, and so eventually I decided to find out what would happen and jumped over to doing it full time. Um, and the rest is kind of history. So I went from doing that and it's in the mortgage industry and you know a lot of people actually a lot of people didn't know that I worked because I still worked a lot at nights and on weekends and so I had children I took them to school I took them to the doctor's appointment I picked them up I coached their sports I did all the things that uh, somebody you know uh, what we might consider a traditional stay-at-home parent did I was able to do because I had this company that was generating great cash and huge profits for me and it was just this awesome lifestyle that I had um, and well, you actually kind of at that point, I mean, it's like, it's like today, that's what a lot of people look like who are actually doing work remote because their lives have changed to the point where what the, their work is at home, but they still have the flexibility to go out and take care of their kids or, or run errands or do things like that. Yes and it, no. 
I, you know, I have a number of friends that have transitioned from the in the office corporate world to the at home. Um, and a number of them are dealing with um, surveillance. You know, these companies that are actually really? putting in place how to monitor when people are doing things um, remotely. And so I, I, have a, I know a few people that are very uncomfortable with it that are like, okay, you know, this is almost worse than being in the office because it's so easy to forget that there is a surveillance piece happening in my life. So, yeah, no, but I did very much. A lot of people have transitioned into this now and uh, they, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, wow, this is really cool. And you're seeing that with what we're calling, you know, the great resignation, which is really just a great reshuffling where people are saying, yeah, I don't want to be in the office. And then they're changing jobs so much. And some of them are going to the company, you know, going to another large company that has some type of, wow, we're monitoring your, your keystrokes or actually using your camera to watch you. Um, yeah, that's free. That's freaky to me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. I mean, if so, you're not trusting your employee to get their job done, if there's not a level of trust in their ability to do that, then you don't have a relationship that is functioning. Nope. So, no. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. So anyway, I sidetracked on that. Yeah, no. <laughs> and so, you know, I ended up in that. But um, if you know, you know, the history of the housing market here in the United States in 2008, uh, we had a, a crash in essence. Um, we still have a lot of people who believe that it was led by the subprime brokerage that was going on, although the subprime loans, but that that's actually been proven false. It really was by, you know, the creation of Wall Street of products that were horrible and should have never made yeah. it to market to actually be sold. Um, so anyway, when that fell apart, my company began to shrink. Um, I designed that newsletter, which I do still write to this day, uh, based on a target market of mom and pop mortgage companies. Well, they lasted, you know, they might have made it, some might have made it till about 2014 or 15, but between state regulations and federal regulations, there was so much changing. By 2015, they were all gone. Um, mm. So my that company began to shrink, and I and I realized that I need to do something different. Um, yeah. And it took now, a while. Is that, is that the moment? That is that kind of the moment where you decided that? Uh, because it, for a lot of people, and and you know, as part of the wisdom stack, it's it's like the two separate pieces. One is transition which is the moments in life where you have a choice or you're forced into a choice of, of going one way or the other and making a decision of what's going to happen to move forward. And the other one is transformation, which is a longer picture of things. But at that moment, were you even thinking about going back to sales or, or a sales job? You know, or I thought had you already very- committed so much internally to go forward as an entrepreneur. You know, I was there as an entrepreneur. Um, my last two quote jobs that I had, I really did realize I'm a terrible employee. Um, you know, the la- <laughs> well, the last job was another small tech company that had astronomical, I mean, huge potential. So this would have been 2014. 2005, someplace right in that time frame, they could have been a huge company. But, you know, the guy running the company had a very narrow view of what he thought of. And he brought me in to actually do some of the transformation of the company. So it was, 
It was a company that targeted the cellular industry, which has long been a subscription industry. And even though 2004, 2005, and that long ago, we didn't have a subscription industry at that time. <clears throat> uh, Netflix had only been around for, what, four or five years. And it was one of the big ones. And so I looked at the marketplace and said, the direction we're going is subscription-based. I mean, it wasn't just me saying that. It, experts of all kinds were saying, right. hey, how do you change whatever it is you're doing instead of selling a, a software license, sell a subscription? And it was happening in lots of different places. And, and this company was perfectly primed to take advantage of that and chose to not want to go that direction because of the amount of time and effort it was going to take. Hmm. So did they you know, survive? I, <clears throat> no. Um, yeah. <laughs> they did. No, good recommendation at that point. I mean, for your vision is that they yeah. didn't make it. And, and you know, I, I take no pleasure in that because there were some great people yeah, that worked at sure. that, that company. Um, and it really could have been a really cool player in supporting subscription, the whole subscription industry. Um, right. But by that point, uh, so by the but back to your question about the housing market as it crashed and I watched my business going down. <clears throat> I was all in as an entrepreneur. My kids, my oldest was reaching middle school age <clears throat> at this point, you know, had definitely become accustomed to me around. Um, there was a life change. I ended up divorced um, and I made a decision in that process that I would figure out the whole business thing on my own, but I wanted to be around for my kids. Uh, you know, I'd been able mm -hmm. to pull that off sure. for, most of their childhood, and I wasn't going to allow that to change. Yeah, I think that's a big driver too. I mean, it 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 has it has given you the purpose for being able to to accelerate that vision, you know, with mm -hmm. everything you've done. Mm -hmm. So what what came after that? I mean, the the mortgage industry, and and of course, from my background, you know, I was in banking and everything else. So I'm very familiar with the cycles of, of you know, crashing and, and workouts and all that kind of thing. Yeah. If, if the industry is going down, what did you decide to do next? I mean, as the next thing? Well, I, well, I didn't start the next business. I actually, in this process, the money, my company was still putting off enough cash to live on um, comfortably and support the lifestyle that I wanted that I decided to write a book. So that was actually my interim. Oh, um, okay. You know, That's when, okay. Yeah. So as the divorce, you know, reached it kind of its final stages and I was looking at what do I really, really want to do in college? I actually had started my first book and, um, yeah, back with the pen and paper, actually, you know, actually writing a manuscript. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I decided I'm going to write a book. Um, not necessarily to go become some, you know, best-selling author, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, if, you know, Sony or Netflix calls and wants to produce my, you know, my books, I'm all in, but I did it because I wanted to do it. It was just one of those. Sure. I, and I think that it really is part of the entrepreneurial journey that, you know, I've been on is it's given me the ability to say, this is really what is important to me to do, and then I can do it. Um, and so this was one of those things because I had one of my uh, efforts, the, this newsletter company was producing cash and I wanted to write a book. So mm -hmm. I wrote a book. Um, so that was kind of that 
beginning, but I knew that the end was still not the end, but that they, you know, this newsletter company in the mortgage industry would continue to shrink until who knows when, you know, at some point in time, I'll pull the plug on it. But, um, I, some of my subscribers I've known now for, you know, 18 years and I've been helping them with their, and so it's really hard for me to walk away from that, even though it doesn't produce, you know, enough to live on anymore. Um, it, it still makes money, but, uh, sure. So, so I keep doing that. So, well, I that, also think that's loyalty and commitment. Yeah. You know, that, that, that statement that you're, you're actually caring about the people that you're involved with throughout that. And there have been people that have been with you for a very long time. And, and I think even though we all know at some point you're going to, you're going to reach a point where it's just like, it's not worth the time or the effort or, or expense of doing something. And, and sometimes that just happens, but it's really hard to cut that cord of, of that connection. Yeah, it, it is. It, I mean, and, you know, part of it too is um, I know that this tool that this, this newsletter I write helps them with their business with, you know, closing mortgages. They, they get more business because they're working with me. Um, it's just that, you know, my I, piece of me would be like, wow, I wish we could have it like it used to be. So I, I could grow this thing again, but there, mm-hmm. that's just, there's just been too many changes in the industry. Um, sure. You can make that, that possible. But yeah, I mean, when the housing market began, crashing in 2007 when we first saw the first signs a lot of people kind of were okay this could be bad as it as it began to roll i i started list you know talking with customers and some of them were mom and pops and they were dipping into their savings and dipping into other things trying uh, to yeah. keep themselves afloat and, you know and eventually i was getting the phone call is i'm bankrupt uh i mm-hmm. tried to keep my company afloat i got to cancel my service with you many of them some of them hadn't been paying because I was still trying to help them get through to what during sure. what we thought was going to happen. You know, it would bounce back, but it didn't um, in the way anyone expected. So, yeah, that's, you know, and I think that's key to having any type of company is you have to take care of your customers. You have to have some belief in their value and who they are as people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. So what was next? Well, at this point, um, I'd had, uh, you know, over a decade of listening to customers, my mortgage people, telling me that I would like a- to be able to do ABC. And I kind of combined that with just general tech knowledge that I'd gained through the years. And I decided to launch a email marketing platform. So I, I started another company um, in the email space, uh, targeted, unlike like your MailChimp, uh, constant contact, the, the ones people mm-hmm. are familiar with, those all start out as I'm going to focus on small businesses. And then one day an agency shows up and says, hey, I've got four or five customers. How can we shoehorn your solution to make it work for me? And then they create, most of them are kind of shaky solutions, in, in my opinion. So I started with the, okay, what if we do a email marketing platform for agencies and in some ways my newsletter could be considered in you know being an agent mm. an agency for my subscribers and i i began hiring people uh had a development team in india uh building a, a platform um you know did the whole thing of start, you know starting another company actually did this one even differently than other ones uh previous companies had been um llc's this one i actually did as a corporation 
Um, so I really kind of put myself on a path to have a much bigger company than I'd originally thought I would have, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, so I mean, but you start from a vision and this is consistent throughout what you're doing. You have not only a desire, but you have a vision of something that you know that you want to achieve or that you actually, you like, like I will always want to write a book. I'm going to write a book. So you have a vision and, and you start the implementation part of the process. Yep. And, and let's be honest, sometimes it fails and it sucks. Yeah. And, oh, it's and horrible. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does. But but the the process of that, when you get to the point, there's there's like a moment where you realize that uh, you have to make a decision to pull the plug or to keep pushing. And a lot of times that decision is a really simple one because it's about pouring more money into something or not. Right. But a lot of times it's also about your personal investment of not only your time, but also your, your mental energy and, and your focus Emotional and your energy. desire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, most of the entrepreneurs I know have had at least one good failure. I mean, you got to have one just slam up against a brick wall failure. Yeah. And most of them, including me, say the same thing. I pushed too hard, too far. I should have stopped before I hit the wall. Um, yeah. But it is, it really does. It has to do with that, you know, this is my baby. I can see where it's going to go if I can get it there. Yeah. And so- Well, we and also I think some of it is ego. Oh, sure. We we always believe that if we just push a little harder, we'll get through and make it work. Yeah. And, and, that, and sometimes that is what you need to do. And, and so, you know, divining, which, where is that stop point? It's yeah. almost easier if uh, you have X number of dollars in the bank. And once those X number of dollars are gone, there is no more money because then you're done. Yeah. Um, you don't actually say, geez, if I held back, I could do something different or I could return money to investors or, or something like that. And almost nobody does that. We, you know, we continue to push until yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, and that's true. And, you know, I, I, uh, I've been guilty of that a couple of times. And, yeah. and in both of those times, it was my basically desire to make it work overrode what is usually my strength, which is my objectivity to evaluate whether or not you pull the plug. Right. And in the two instances in my life I'm thinking about, it's like, why did that moment just push me so far past what would normally be if I'm if I'm mentoring somebody or I'm giving a consulting to a company, I'm going to look at it and go, you got to pull the plug now. You know, because it's just going down the hole from this point. Why? Why is it sometimes for ourselves? And then maybe in, you can think of your case. Do you just like keep pushing at it? Is it just this overwhelming desire that you know you're going to fix it. 
You know, part of it comes, I think part of it's the vision, because when you create that vision in your head, you're creating. Technology is wonderful, except when it doesn't work. And that's exactly what happened in the middle of this interview. We started again, and here's the second half. I know at the time you were incredibly invested in, in time and energy and effort and money to make mm-hmm. that company work. Mm-hmm. What was it that finally pushed you over the edge of the decision to pull the plug on it? Um, it was really kind of a combination of things. One, yes, there was a money issue. It was going to cost more money than I was willing and moving toward able to put into it. Uh, that was certainly one of the big factors in the decision was, you know, where cash was. Um, the other was um, a mistake on my part, you know, looking back on it. I built this, com- the, the software platform was built partially for me to shift over my mortgage newsletter <clears throat> into that platform. And to do that wasn't a uh, call up my customers and say, hey, you're over there. Um, they actually had to do some work and do things to get over there. So I actually had hired somebody whose one of their main jobs was to help my customers come into the new platform that many of them had been asking for, some of them for you know years and years and years. There was a, I, you know, I don't want to say I tried to time the market a little bit, but I did look at, you know, I watch rates um, and watch the Federal Reserve, and we should have been moving toward a um, an increasing rate cycle. Um, we'd been in a low rate, you know, 2008 had hit, we dropped the Fed funds rate to zero. We should have been climbing back up. And historically, mortgage loan officers, when rates go up, they market because nobody's doing refinances, they have to go find purchase business. And so my kind of a, there's a back of my head, there's this assumption, this is a good time because rates should be going up and they're going to want, well, guess what? Rates stayed flat mm. and the industry was continuing to get hit with new regulations. Uh, Loan officers were literally flocking out of the industry. So all of my customers who had stayed, um, I had a number of them who really wanted to move over to the new platform, but they would call me or text me or email me on Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m., still in the office, having been there since the morning, or Sunday night in the office. Um, They were making a killing in terms of their you know, personal income, but mo- many of them had no personal life left because there were, um, you had a lot of states that decided this is the time to layer in additional um, requirements to be a mortgage loan officer. So many of them were now trying to get those certifications. A lot of people that would have been in the industry went, uh, okay, no, I don't want to go into an industry that is commission-based where I'm going to have to go and invest in all of this training before I get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a new idea. We've normalized now to where people are okay with doing that, and, and the pathways are different. And so I ended up with in a position where the, the person that I had hired to do these transitions was basically calling and getting people going, yeah, uh, maybe next week, or maybe the week after that. And mm-hmm. so the transition I needed to have happen uh, didn't happen. And so okay. part of it was, okay, the Fed's never going to leave this zero rate. So, you know, I mean, I've, I had some conversations with even some economists that were going, okay, we've never had a rate cycle go this long, this low. Have we fixed things? Have we made things better? You know, what's changed? 
And so someplace in there, I was like, okay, how do I get my core initial subscriber base in there? I couldn't do it. Uh, it yeah. just wasn't going to happen. And so all of a sudden, it was either reset and decide my next market to go after or shut it down. Okay. So so the tool actually, the, or the platform itself, was really narrowly defined initially. No, so actually, I built it wide, um, but all my effort had been focused narrow. And okay. so I could have said, uh, you know, my the example I used was uh, yoga studios. I could have said, okay, yoga studios are growing. We could, I could go after agencies that market to yoga studios for them to do. So an agency would come in, sign up, and then they could provide services via my tool to yoga agencies, for example. It really was agnostic. It didn't matter what the industry was, but just right. from a marketing perspective, you got to focus somewhere. And um, my initial focus was just wrong, um, just simply because of what happened in the mortgage industry. I, I just couldn't. So so if you, if you had looked at it differently going in and you had said, essentially what I'm going to create is a white label platform for uh, agency, small agencies yep. who do local, local business marketing yep, exactly and advertising for people. Uh, if you had done that up front or focus more up front in that way, would that have made a difference? You know, I think if I would have just selected, so so in the the model of pressing towards something like that, you know, just from a marketing perspective, it makes going really wide tends to make the net have big holes in it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, my marketing plan was to find more specialized local agencies because if I'd have gone after uh, agencies that were broad in their focus, the value of my service was not as was good, but it wasn't great. Whereas if I went after the local agency that did restaurants, um, sure. they could because of the way my tool worked, they could reuse what they were doing with one client for another client for another client for another client for another client and make money off of each of those trans you know sets of transactions. Um, and so part of it was. You know, I focused on you know mortgage brokers. It, it well, it's, it sounds like a stretch from agency. It's not. Um, I just didn't have the next one queued up yet. Yeah, yeah. And it was well, uh, it was just too late at that point financially, and it was really a decision of do you want to do this um, and figure out how to put more money into it, or do you want to pull the plug and yeah, call it a lesson. Well, yeah, some of those lessons are really hard and expensive. So. It's ridiculously expensive. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and the ego blow is huge. I mean, you know, you got the business cards, you got the identity, um, all your friends, all your family, uh, your, your professional network. Everyone knows you're doing this thing, whatever it is. And now you yeah. got to walk all that back and say, I failed. Yeah. And yeah, it is, your it narrow is set of friends, your, that narrow set of friends that are entrepreneurs are like, high five, you got a failure in there. You're going to do better <laughs> next time. But everyone yeah, yeah. else of us is like, oh, God, are you going to be okay? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. but are you know, a loser. Not, yeah, it's like, oh, wow. I thought you were going to be, you know, some big name, did you? What an idiot. You shouldn't have even done it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, so, you know, it, those those are usually the people that you look at and realize that if they uh, if everyone followed their direction, nothing would ever have happened, have happened for anyone. Absolutely, nothing would nothing would be made, nothing would be done, nothing would be grown. So, yeah. uh, but at the end of that, I mean, now it seems like you're doing so many different things in so many different ways. Because yeah. you're, you have an author marketing platform you're doing. Yep. Best book monkey. You're really what I sort of an adventure entrepreneur as the hiking CEO. And there's, there's kind of a story through that. You're writing, you're doing all these things. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a, a multiple variations to what you're doing and, and, one of the principles of that, I think, that's important, and maybe it would be beneficial for for listeners to understand, is how do you manage to do everything? Because so, you are doing a lot of different things. Yeah, and you know, you know, I'd love to throw out the you know time honored principles of time management and, and other things, but a lot of times it's uh, what's on fire. Uh, there is that, yes. uh, that is, you know, I do have, I have customers that are mortgage customers. I have authors that are, that are customers for my, uh, you know, my book marketing platform. Um, I, I'm going to have to be honest. I haven't been writing as much as I used to because, because of this, um, mm. I've, uh, written, you know, I wrote a second book in my science fiction series. Um, the third is not done yet. Uh, I would love to say it's done, but I, like many authors, also have three or four other books in process that I'll get a little time to work on them. Um, so really, fire tends to be, unfortunately, the thing that has to be dealt with first. And then it is a matter of kind of the time-honored, okay, where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? And so then it becomes um, a matter of personally prioritizing what are those things that are going to make up the rest of the day. Um, so, you know, some of that is done on a, you know, I use a scheduling tool called ClickUp now, which I've recently found. I really like it because it does help me visually see on a calendar what my hours look like uh, that I'm going to be working during a day. Um, and then I make decisions of which ones do I think have the, uh, the most leverage for where I'm going. Yeah. Well, and, and that, I, you know, putting, pointing the hose at the, the fire that's the biggest has always been sort of a natural thing that, that if you own your own business or for that matter, I mean, go, I'm thinking back to my corporate days, I used to laugh and I would be in the office at five 30 in the morning. And at that point, this is way back in the day, the phone system opened up at eight o'clock at seven 30, everybody was in the office. And, and by eight o'clock, Anything that I had planned was off the table because it was all subject to whatever exploded and whoever needed something. And, and you know, that's just kind of the nature of what life is at that point. Yeah, but, you know, it is one of those things, too. You do have to, especially if you're, you're you know, don't have a big team. You do have to look at the nature of the fire and say, can I let some of these smolder? And, and that kind of almost yeah. in some ways goes against that taking care of your customer because sometimes 
it's good to say, hey, I can deal with this tomorrow um, because I want right. to accomplish task ABC today. And so if this fire isn't raging, I'll do it tomorrow and just set it. You know, one of the things that I will do is, is actually I'll shut off the email, um, shut off all the notifications on my devices and say, OK, today this one project has to be done or I have to make progress on this one project for these four or five hour block. That's all I'm going to do. And I'll actually ignore because I'm, I'm not an emergency room doctor. You know, uh, people right. may think what they have is an emergency. It's not. Um, they'll yeah. live. Um, and I can, if I email them tonight or tomorrow or call them tonight or tomorrow, what's the difference? Um, and yeah. so part of it is, is, is having that discipline of saying, okay, I've dealt with what there's no choice to deal with. And now I have to make progress on this thing, whatever it is that will push you forward to, to take the business ahead. Yeah. I, I have something really similar and I look at, I kind of have, I try and set up my week on Sunday and, and look at it and for clients or anything else. I said, and it's the difference between must and can. It's like, what yeah. must I get done today? You know, that is, that is, there's no neutrality about it. It has to get done today. And then what can I make progress on, on the, on anything else? And sometimes it is some, little it, it may not be much but it, it's forward motion and that yeah. sense of forward motion really does make progress over time yeah and, and it, it, you know it's that it's that saying um you know humans have how's that go humans have a tendency to uh overestimate what they can achieve in a day and vastly underestimate what they can achieve in a year yeah yeah because yeah, it is. It's like, you know, one tiny little thing doesn't feel like much, but when you look back over the course of some longer period of time, you can go, wow, this is yeah. amazing. Well, it, and I know that it's, it's uh, even, I still do it on a lot of things. It's really easy to underestimate the time it's going to take. <laughs> and that is just okay. kind of the nature of the beast. It It mm -hmm. is. And, and, uh, you know, it's, from my standpoint, a lot of what I do a lot of times also as a consultant is that you have to manage your client's expectations of time. And everybody thinks that this should only take this amount of time. But what you're asking for and the level of detail or the level of commitment that you're asking might be double that amount of time. So I have to some way find a, a way to tell them what your expectation is, is not realistic. And, right. and what you actually are asking for is going to take this amount of time. It's going to cost twice as much as you think because it's going to take that much more time. But, you know, sure, I can cut it off in half the time. You get half the half the work. You don't have your answer. So you pick. And I really, yeah. you know, I for me and and i've struggled with this this is this is a personal struggle because and and i know you have a lot of tools you use for planning and everything else uh my mind doesn't work that way very well uh i have tried so much a huge whiteboard has always been been really good for me but i hate to do lists and when i was working and, and then managing a lot of people, I would start off with a legal pad and I would make the, the Monday morning, you know, all the things I needed to do. Get in, cross the first like two or three lines off. I'm really cranking it. 
And then Tuesday morning comes around, those two or three lines on the first page are crossed off. Nothing else is crossed off. And I've got another list for Tuesday. And then get to Friday, you know, the, there's only two or three things crossed off on the first page of five pages. See, that's the nice thing about some of the new tools is you just take that thing on the list and move it to the next day and then move <laughs> it to the next day and then move it to the next day and then go, that one's going to happen next week. Yeah. <laughs> and then you move it over there and you don't even see it. Push. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, have to do that. you have to. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think uh, it's it's important to, to also give ourselves a sense of accomplishment for what we do accomplish and the little things that we get done. A lot of times it take more time. Uh, yeah. And and, you know, the the what you're talking about, having the commitment to do little bits and pieces and make progress on stuff there. Uh, I love the there was a story and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember the woman's name wrote a fiction book and she actually became a best, a New York times bestselling author, but she, her life was so intense. She had kids, she had all this stuff. The only time that she could write was for an hour and she would take a notebook and go into the garage and get in her car in the garage and turn the light on, close the door, and write for an hour, like from 11 to midnight every night. That was the only time she had to write. But she wrote this book by doing that, and she never yeah. failed to do it. I mean, that is the progress. That's like you're talking about having accomplished over time something that you feel like, you know, you're not getting something done as it's going along. Yeah, it's interesting in, in the author world, too, is... Uh... You know, because we have this self-published world where people can put out whatever they want of whatever quality they want. Um, it's amazing how many people you run into that are, uh, quote, authors who have written their 10,000 word book um, and put it up on Amazon and then wonder why it doesn't do as well. But, you know, they believe that I've done enough by doing this little bit when they've really just started. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 interesting that you know there seems to be a you know a, a type of personality or something of people who get what the end goal needs to be and then push all the way to the end um, right. rather than quitting part way and saying, "Well, this must be good enough." Yeah, or and same yeah, thing with this. Yeah, and, and and I'll I'll put my hand up for guilty on this a couple of times. You know, is that you. Uh, you know that you want something, so you start working on it, but you get the point of it. And then it's like, you know, but if it was just this and, and it turns into something shiny over there and you kind of leave what you were doing and you go look at the shiny thing. And and that focus, that shift of focus is what stops the completion of the first thing. And yes, it, it can be it, it can be good at times because it can take you to something that's better or it can be killer at times because it just killed both things. <laughs> you, you know, you know, one of the interesting ways that things are looked at in the software world that, that has changed, you know, in, in our time using software has been this concept of an MVP, um, a minimal yeah. viable product. And one of the things that, um, you know, it's irritating for users because you get this, product that may not product. be yeah. yes exactly <laughs> but that's kind of what, what I'm, I'm trying to point to here is there is you know founders that take a an idea and say my ultimate vision is 
XYZ, but I can get it to market and make some money, you know, while I'm sitting here at Q. Um, too many people, I think, and be that writing a book or starting a company or whatever you're doing, kind of now we have this mentality in our culture of get what you can get done and, and see if it's good enough. Whereas I think it's it's okay to get what you can get to the marketplace, but you got to maintain that vision right. of where you're going. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and any, anyone who's been in, in the software world will will tell you, hey, you get to MVP and you also, you really start listening to customers too. And, and I would 100% yeah. echo that. Um, but, you know, whatever that activity is, sometimes there is that point of good enough, but it's just a start and you have to have some, uh, you know, persistence and perseverance and keep pushing to X, Y, Z. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the ability to figure out where your next step is or how to improve it and, and, and grow it instead of just accepting that what you did was good enough and that's all you're going to do. Yeah. And, you know, that's that, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is kind of a uh, killer for a lot of things in, in this business. As, especially the business of being an entrepreneur and, do, and doing something that's visionary for yourself and, and for what you're doing. So at this point, and I, and I know that, I mean, you have a lot of things going and a lot of things on your plate, but one of the things I want to leave people with uh, for the show is if you were able to define like one lesson that you've learned being an entrepreneur and in your journey and the things that, that you've gone through and experienced is there one thing that you can point to that says you know if i had known this before i started this or before i went into this would have shifted what the result was that would have changed things for me what would that lesson have been or is that even a way, is that even definable? You know, you, you know, as you're asking the question, I kind of go back to this, uh, the, the same thing. I, I, when I was in the corporate world, um, when I got into enterprise sales, um, worked for one of the founders of FedEx, uh, Mike Bash, who was one of the original team that built, you know, what's become a kind of mm -hmm. big company. Um, and he always quoted and very much believed the, you know, the Henry Ford, uh, what, I think it goes, whether or not you think you can do a thing or not, you're right. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there were, he taught that lesson in very amazing ways to me. And, and I would say that that's probably the most important thing that has kind of driven me is, do you, do you believe you can go do it? Um, and, and, you know, so what is it, the, the things that I wish I would have known? Um, most of them I, I did learn younger, and, and that's why I've continued going, um, is because some of the things I learned, I, I learned younger. Uh, I think the one thing that would have helped me um, is to have more people around me that are supportive of what I'm doing. Um, mm. Community. Community. I am, uh, you know, and this is my, after the software company failed, I've really kind of pushed toward, okay, can I do the things that I love to do without employees? Um, you know, I, I laid off my last employee. I had his check ready and I, it was, you know, the end of it all basically. And he came in and it was a couple of days 
from my birthday, and he walks in with a bottle of cognac, my favorite cognac, for me on the day I'm laying no. off. And I'm like, I don't want employees ever again. This is horrible. <laughs> um, so, you know, but but to answer your question, you know, the biggest thing is is that community. You need to you need to have. Um, I don't want to say support group because those of us who are entrepreneurial and push like some of us do, we're arrogant and and we're egotistical and we're going to push forward no matter what. But it's a hell of a lot easier when you can pick up the the phone or get on Zoom or go to lunch since we're finally being able to do some of that again or go have a cup of coffee and say, I'm bonking my head here and get a different perspective. Um, yeah, because that that is one of the things I do when I look back. I, I, I guess that is would probably be the big one is, uh, you know, find those people that you can bounce things off. They're going to be honest with you. Um, and, and some of this goes right back to your question of when is it time to quit something and right. say, is a, you know, it's dead. It's a good lesson. Uh, it's good to have somebody that that says, where do you draw the line? When you have, when you're still saying, oh, I'm not going to draw the line yet <laughs> uh, and have someone yeah, yeah. Not, not to hold you accountable. I mean, I have a business coach that I work with that, um, and he'll just ask the question and just put it in your mind so that any never as a, here's how it has to be. Um, but right. think this through, um, yeah. cause we get locked in our own perspective sometimes. And it's good just to say, you know, like you and I do at times, just start talking about what we're working on and cause without fail that additional perspective will have you go, Oh, I didn't yeah. think of that. I should push. That yeah. Way. Yeah. Or it's, it's, uh, it's an outside and I, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's an outside objectivity that we're all myopic when we're working on something because we have to be, we have to be fully focused on what we're doing. So that, blinders on, head down, you know, focus. A lot of times we're missing some things and maybe we're not, but but if we are, sometimes it's just nice to have somebody say, you know, maybe you need to take a step back and and think about are you going in the right direction or maybe you are in the right direction but you're going too fast or you're not going fast enough or you know, however that works. But I, I totally 100% agree. I think community is so important and it's so difficult as an entrepreneur to find it for the most part, especially during the pandemic where we're all more isolated than we would normally have been. And I'm having that conversation both personally and with other people about how can we grow community? It, it, no. It's not easy. You know, here in uh, Longmont, where we uh, live, they've done a great job of building a startup community. And, and I, you know, part of that springs off of how close we are to Boulder, which is, you know, a startup mecca in the yeah. country. But one of the things that, um, you know, having been involved in that community historically, uh, I'm not involved at, at this point in time, is that you get involved with a lot of people that want to have their own company, that want to press forward, don't know what they're doing. And they sometimes tend to be a drag on you um, because yeah. they're going to fail. You know, they're going to fail. They're coming to you for help. So it's kind of a, well, it's kind of like I, I used to do a lot of martial arts and I 
I would always train when I would, but my favorite part of getting in a ring where we, where I was actually, you know, actually fighting was when somebody, I was, when I was up against sparring or, or in a ring, somebody that was multiple belts above me, I knew I was yeah. going to learn, but I would learn so much, you know, right. And I'd crawl, you know, crawl to the locker room and change because I was beaten. <laughs> but what I had learned was so much. And so finding that community, um, it's really hard. And that's exactly right. It's really hard to find people that are successful at doing what they want to do, who are willing to train other or not train, but just even talk with other people. Um, and and I, I hate to say it, but to, to flush out some of those that aren't going to make it, uh, you know, you're, if you're building community, that's, that's a tough, tough road, you know, yeah, start to get down that path. Well, it's also, I think, uh, well, and and we're actually defining differently because, you know, there are communities out there, and this is this has been, uh, I know, I know of a couple of them in Boulder, uh, you know, and they're all built around taking these trips together with these, you know, highly successful people and everything else. You're gonna, you know, it's a, it's a bonding exercise where you're gonna get, you know, to learn a lot from things. But it's also incredibly expensive. And that is that is uh, that is so much a barrier that that, you know, and and it's built that way. I mean, it's built, in essence, to keep people out that that, you know, aren't there. And my my take on that is essentially, you know, sometimes it just needs to be friendship. It needs to be more about how can we support each other, even though. Uh, I may know you may fail or anything else. That doesn't mean that you can't learn from my perspective or, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit there for five hours and, and try and coach you to teach you how to not fail because you're not paying me to do that. So right. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. just, it, it, it is kind of interesting. And I think also the isolation of being an entrepreneur is something that is unique to that. Uh, the pandemic pushed it because a lot of co-working things, uh, people were building little companies and everybody's, you know, the, the, uh, there's a couple of them in Boulder. There's accelerators, uh, uh, incubators. And, and now all of that is sort of shifted and changed. So where it goes from here, I'm not sure, but I, I think that, Ultimately, you're right in the fact that we're going to need to find ways to personally support ourselves through finding others that we can share that journey with. Yep, totally agree. And, totally agree. And and that's going to be that's going to be so important. So perhaps one of the things that I can do for that is to do the show and have people and share this with other people and share your perspective with other people. So, and I'm very grateful for you taking the time to do this as we've gone through and hang My out. Pleasure. And My out. pleasure. So, yeah. Do you have a story of transformation and success to share? I'd like to invite you to be a guest on the show. Let's get in touch. Email your contact information to podcast at thewisdomstack.com.
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wisdom Stack Show. Let's stay in touch. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark N. Purvis and on my Facebook page at Official Mark Purvis. Visit the Wisdom Stack website for more resources and programs at thewisdomstack.com.